Welcome to the Unapologetic Man Podcast. The only podcast that's all about self-improvement, confidence, success, women, and being a man without making any apologies for it. What is up, guys? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the UMP. I really do appreciate it. In this episode, we are going to talk about storytelling. If you're the kind of guy who runs out of things to say, if the conversations fizzle away and she walks off and says, well, it's good to meet you. If you're not able to get good attraction and you always have that phenomenon where your mind goes blank, then this episode is specifically for you. I'm going to tell you how to tell stories. I'm going to give you some awesome information about how to weave stories into your first conversations as well as into your dates with girls. And I also brought some props. I'm going to do some entertaining noises for you. You got to stay tuned to hear those that work into one of my stories specifically. And I'm going to share some of the stories that I tell during my conversations with girls that get them really attracted. And I'm going to teach you the method behind my madness as to why I tell these stories, how they work, how they make girls more attracted to me. So if you run out of things to say, if you want more content, if you want something potent to get girls ridiculously attracted to you in your conversations, then stay tuned. Here at the Unapologetic Man podcast, we are thankful for you, our listeners. It's because of you that we're able to do what we love. So let us know how we're doing. If you find value in my content, please leave us a review on iTunes or any of the other apps that you happen to be listening to this on. And if you could leave us a thumbs up and a comment on YouTube, I would very much appreciate it. As you guys know, I do offer one-on-one phone coaching. You can learn more about that at coachmarksing.com. Once again, that's coachmarksing.com. I'm still out to a seven-week waiting list. Marnie and I are about to launch our program, Visualization Mastery for Dating Success. And I think I'm going to get a lot busier when that drops. It's going to be dropping on the 16th of January. So if you want to get coaching, you should probably write me an email first. Ask me what my waiting list is looking like because I think it's going to get insane here in a few weeks. So check it out though, man. Look at some of the testimonials on there. I am getting guys laid. And one of the ways we do that is with storytelling. All right. So first I'm going to tell you one of my best stories. This one is really funny. True fucking story about something that happened to me in Japan. And then I'm going to teach you why we tell stories the way we do, what you have to weave into them and how you do it. And then I'm going to tell you some other stories that I typically tell girls. So this is going to be a pretty entertaining podcast. I personally feel I have some pretty good stories. And like I said, I'm going to use a prop on one of them. And uh, I think you'll find it pretty entertaining. Okay, so first story. When I tell her that I lived in Japan, which inevitably comes up, I always tell this story. I tell her that the first two years I was there, I was teaching English in middle schools. Middle schools are seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. And the schools over there are really old. You would think that they would be all new and updated and high technology, the way that everything else is in Japan. But for some reason, they're really kind of old and ghetto, like they were built in the 70s and they never really did anything to them since. So in these schools, in the bathrooms, they have what are called washiki. And washiki are pit toilets. So it's basically like a urinal that's embedded straight into the ground. So anyway, I go into the bathroom and I have to go and I look in there and I see only washiki. Well, as a Westerner with legs that are 25 feet long, it's really difficult for me to use those things, right? It's difficult for me to squat. So I go to the second floor, look around. All they have is the washiki. Go to the third floor, look around. All they have is the washiki. And I was like, fuck, dude, don't they have any like regular toilets in this place? So I go up to the vice principal 
And I was like, hey, um, do you guys have any Western style toilets? Now, Western style means American style. And he thinks about it for a second and his English isn't that good. And he looks at me and he says, no, only washiki. I sorry. And I was like, oh, it's okay. I'll figure it out. Don't even worry about it. Well, there's a thing that happens in Japan, okay? First of all, Japanese people are the nicest, most sincere, most gracious people you would ever meet, okay? So this dude literally was thinking about this, okay? Mark Sensei is having a problem. He can't use our toilets. Mark Sensei is going to be here for the next six months. I need to help out Mark Sensei, okay? So the next day, we're all gathered in the teacher's room, and I'm at my desk, and I just always study Japanese and, and be at my desk. So I'm sitting there studying, and I realize suddenly that somebody is standing next to my desk. Now, I just started at the school. I didn't know a lot of people, but the guy's standing right there, and he's holding something. He's holding something that's big, white, and covered with plastic. I know this can't be a good thing, okay? I've had a couple conversations, and the conversation with this particular guy was about something pretty embarrassing. And now here he is standing next to my desk. So I'm like immersed in my Japanese study, pretending to ignore him. And then I hear this, Mark Sensei, Mark Sensei. So I look up as if I'm surprised he's there. And the dude is literally holding a plastic toilet covered with a plastic wrap. And I look at him and he's like, I bought you this. Right? So what this thing is, dude, is it's a hollow plastic toilet that old people and hopeless Americans like myself place over the washiki so that you can sit down on a regular toilet and then your shit basically drops through the hole into the washiki. So I'm like, oh, thank you. And then, dude, the fucking guy calls out to all the teachers in the teacher's room. And there's probably like 50 people in there. And he's like, minasama, minasama. And then he starts, you know, telling him in Japanese that he bought this shit for me. He's like, I bought this toilet for Mark. Check it out. So he hands it to me and I take it like I'd take a pair of my friend's dirty underwear. And I take the thing and I like, fuck it, dude. Like, just just do it, dude. So I hold it above my head, like in a victory pose. And everybody starts clapping. Everyone's like, yay, right? Mark's finally going to be able to pinch a loaf and, and be able to pull it off. So, dude, it was the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to me in Japan, among many other things. So the vice principal, he's like, come on, come on, I'll, I'll, I'll show you where you can keep it. So he brings me to the janitor's closet and thank God there was no students around. All the students were in their class. And so we put in the janitor's closet. And of course, I shut the door as quickly as possible. I was like, OK, thank you. Let's just go back to work. I really appreciate it. Let's just let's just forget about this thing. So. Sure enough, dude, a couple days later, I got a, I got a pinch of loaf. So I'm like, God, I kind of want to use that toilet. So I go over and I just sashay over to that, that janitor's closet. And I grab the thing, dude, and I run like hell to the bathroom, get it into the bathroom, get it into the stall, slap a biscuit, make sure it's clean and run that fucking thing back into the janitor's closet. And I just had this vision of like me running down the hallway holding this toilet and all the kids come out of class and they see it and then they just fucking just laugh at me. But it never happened. They never figured it out. And it's really funny to me because, dude, think about this vice principal, right? He realizes that this hopeless American, this six foot two giant, can't slap a biscuit into the washiki. So he's thinking about it and think about it. And then he drives over to the equivalent of the Japanese Home Depot, buys this thing. I could just see the forklift like getting it down 
stands in line, buys this thing for me with his own money, and then he takes it to the school, walks into the school with it, and waits eagerly for me to come to school to give it to me. I mean, what kind of graciousness is that, right? That's like the biggest heart I've ever seen. And while it's an embarrassing story, it's a testament to how kind the Japanese people are and how kind they were to me during my stay there. Okay, so that's that's a story I typically say, right? That was like, let's see, about seven minutes. Now, in that seven minutes, I'm being charismatic. I'm telling a funny story. She's getting emotions of laughing, interest. I look good because I lived in Japan. I had adventures. I have an adventurous life. The way I tell the story, I have good bearing, storytelling. I have good cadence, crescendo, decrescendo. I know how to talk. So all these things are being communicated to her by a story that you guys also have. Now, you may think to yourself, well, Mark, I didn't have such a good story about living in a foreign country and this funny thing happened. Dude, I'm telling you, you have really good stories. One of the best things you can do is look through pictures of your life and you'll suddenly say, oh, dude, I forgot about this one. I can tell this story. I can tell that story. Now, the purpose of stories is to embed into them high value traits, to embed into them those attractive things that women look for and to make it entertaining. Remember, Just in my last podcast, we talked about how women want to be stimulated. I bet you anything while you were listening to that story, it was like watching a movie or listening to a cool audio book. Like you were there with me. You were paying really good attention. So storytelling is immensely powerful. In fact, I used to do weddings in Japan and I would marry people in Japanese. The reason they did this is because in Japan, Japanese traditional Japanese ceremonies are very formal So they like the Western quote-unquote style weddings where they get to wear a veil and a tuxedo. And I've married 200 Japanese couples. Well, what happened is, is that since I did that, all my friends here in the States are asking me to marry them. And I've married a bunch of my friends. Well, what I always do, and this is what I was taught by a great public speaker, is you have to tell a story right in the beginning. And the story you tell is of the couple, how they met, how they fell in love, how he asked her to marry him, whatever it may be. And I realized that when I do that, my weddings always go off really well. So storytelling is gigantic. All right, so I live in Colorado, as you guys know, and I'm really into the wilderness. I'm into bushcraft, wilderness survival, backpacking, hunting. So I don't know how much you know about elk, but elk are basically like a gigantic deer that live out here in Colorado. It kind of looks like a cross between a deer and a moose. It's this big old animal, beautiful animal. And in September, they go into what's called the rut. Now the rut is when they're mating. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but they do calls. It's called the bugle. The male elk bugle at one another and they fight and they wrestle and they piss in the mud and wallow and get themselves all muddy and they fuck like the the champion, the, the leader of the herd fucks. So hunting tags are issued during September, okay? Late August, September. So I was gonna go bow hunting. So it was August and all the elk were starting to bugle. Well, what you wanna do is you always want to scout the area that you wanna go hunt at. You wanna look for elk sign. You wanna make sure they're in the area and you want to try to bring them in. You wanna see how active they are. So I take Marissa, and as you guys know, Marissa's my girlfriend, and she's a kick-ass chick because she's just willing to do whatever. I'm like, here, let's go. We're going scouting. You're coming with me. This is what we're doing. She's like, okay, and she just comes with me, and she's a great sport. So we're walking through the woods, and I have a bugle with me, and I'm bugling to try to get a response from some of these elk. 
So I'm bugling and I actually brought it with me here. This is my prop and I'm gonna go ahead and rifle off a bugle so you guys can hear what it sounds like. All right, here it goes. All right, so I'm a little out of practice. It is after all January and I haven't bugled since September, but that's kind of what it sounds like, okay? So that's like a male bugle. And that's what the males do to one another to kind of like be like, what's up, bitch? I'm over here, motherfucker, and I got tons of girls with me. What up? And then the dude will bugle back and they have like these bugle wars. Well, many times when I've been hunting, I've gotten into bugle wars with real elk and I've called them in. It's the sickest thing ever. So there's also the female elk call, and this is what that sounds like. Okay, so that's a female elk call. So Marissa had the female elk call and I had the male elk call. So we're, we're hiking through the woods and I'm rifling this thing off. Then in the distance, I hear this. Oh shit, there's elk over there. So Marissa and I are going real slow, trying not to make too much noise like human noise. We're going real slow and we're getting closer and closer. I'm bugling every few minutes. She's rifling off the female call. We're getting closer and closer. And sure enough, every time we do it, we get an answer. We get this little right? So we're getting closer and closer and I swear we get to a rock and I know just over that rock right there is a herd of elk. I'm like so excited. I'm like, Marissa, we get to see this big herd of elk. There they are. This female elk has been staying there the whole time, consistently bugling back to us, consistently calling back. So we're about to cross this rock and I get this weird feeling. I'm like, I should probably look around the rock before I just walk through it, okay? Just just poke your head out. So I poke my head out. Sure enough, right behind the tree right there is a bow hunter, another dude who when he sees me, we both have the same look of immense disappointment on our faces like, ah, shit. We were bugling back and forth to another hunter. So first we get this look of disappointment like our shoulders sink and then our heads sink down and then we just start laughing, dude. We're like, no way, dude. So I go over to him and I'm like, what's up, man? Yeah, da da da, da and we we're talking, and then I was like, "Hey, how do you want us to get out of here so we're not like troding, you know, on your on your hunting area?" So he's like, "Just go, just go back the way you came," and so that that's a story about elk hunting. Now another thing I always talk about is in Colorado, I always for some reason have encounters with moose. My friends call me the moose whisperer because while moose are rarer to see than deer and elk. I have seen more moose in Colorado than I have deer and elk. I've seen 23. I've actually kept count. And on one occasion, I'm driving my forerunner up into the mountains to go to my wiki up. I built a wiki up in the woods. It's like this uh, teepee style thing made out of pine and it has beds in it and it has a fire in the middle and it's totally baller, but it's way out in the middle of national forest where nobody can find it. And so I'm driving, I'm driving up this fire road and suddenly, dude, this gigantic bull moose just jumps out in front of my car and he's running right in front of my car on the road. But there's like a little bit of space next to him. So I literally accelerate and I pull up next to him and I roll down my window and he's running. like doo -doo, doo -doo, doo -doo, And I look over and I'm like, what's up, dude? And he like looks at me and his eyes get all big and then he just darts back into the woods. And I was like, God damn, the moose whisperer goes at it again. 
All right, so those two stories show that I'm adventurous. I get into the woods a lot. A lot of girls who live in Colorado, a lot of the girls that I meet in Denver, their dad's really into hunting. And these girls always think that they're like big hunters. So we always talk about hunting. I tell stories like that. It inspires her to tell stories and we relate on that level. Now, another important thing is when you're telling a story, make sure to include women in it. I talked about this in the episode pre-selection or maybe how to tell if a girl likes you. I can't remember which one. Bro, you should just listen to all my podcasts so you know what I'm talking about. But always include a girl. If it's a friend that's with you, it's a woman. If it's a story about something that happened with somebody else, it's a girl. Always include that you have women with you. Now, the story of Marissa, it really was a girl and it was perfect. So boom, I always include her in that story. Okay, two more stories that I like to tell. When I was in college, I went to UC Santa Cruz and I was really into surfing. I grew up in Newport Beach, which is in California, and I grew up surfing. And it's funny because when I tell people here in Colorado that we had a surfing team at my high school, they always trip out. They're like, really? You had a surfing team? And I'm like, yeah, that's how close we live to the beach. So I surfed growing up. I was super into it. And I went to UC Santa Cruz and Santa Cruz is super cool because it's like a redwood forest. And then boom, you have the ocean right there. Well, in that ocean, there's a lot of kelp. And where there's a lot of kelp, you're going to get sea otters. The reason sea otters live in kelp is because sea urchins eat kelp and sea otters eat sea urchins. So what they do is they dive down and they grab a rock and then they grab a sea urchin and then they float to the surface. And what they do is they put the rock on their belly and then they smash the sea urchin on the rock and then they eat what's inside. So when they come up, they kind of float to the surface and then they float on their back and they go backwards. You've, you could probably envision this, right? A sea otter going backwards on his back. Well, as I'm surfing, I'm sitting there on my board waiting for waves. And I'm sure you know what a guy sitting on a surfboard looks like. It's kind of like the board's in between his legs and he's sitting up and his hands are on his thighs and he's waiting for waves. Well, the sea otter pops up like four feet away from me and he starts backing towards me And he's sitting there smashing the urchin on the rock. And I realized, dude, he doesn't know I'm here. So he comes into me, comes into me. He's coming closer, coming closer, coming closer. And literally he's in my lap. Like the dude, the little dude's in my lap. And the second he almost hits my stomach, his eyes look back and he sees me. His eyes get really big, like, oh, and then he just swims off. He drops the rock and the sea urchin on my board and then he's out of there and he like splashes me in the face while he's doing that. Another thing that happened to me is when I was surfing one time in Santa Cruz, I drop in on this wave and I'm surfing it and suddenly all these dolphins are riding the wave with me. True fucking story. All these dolphins are riding the wave with me and they're right next to my board and some of them are kind of like jumping up and going down and it was just the coolest thing that ever happened to me. Uh, Another story is I was surfing in Hawaii. After Japan, I lived in Hawaii. I was a Japanese translator uh, to the tourists in Hawaii. And I'm surfing in Hawaii and my friend, this is a true story, dude. Like I'm not embellishing this whatsoever, but I had caught a wave and I'm paddling out. My friend catches this big set and it was at this place called um, Moana Bowls. I think it was called, it's called Bowls, Ala Moana Bowls. Anyway, it's called Bowls, B-O-W-L-S because it like bowled up. It was this epic left that just came out of deep water. Now, because it was in deep water, there were sharks being known to live in that area. Well, my friend gets this big set. He's going down the line and then his board just stops, stops like that. Dude flies off and he flies forward 
And he, he comes up and he's like, dude, I think I hit a shark. I hit a fucking shark. And it was getting late at night. Uh, one of the things about surfing is there's so many goddamn people out nowadays that you have to stay out till like after the sun goes down just to get 20 minutes of alone time with the waves. So me and my buddy, we would surf until it was literally dark. So it's like getting dark and it's basically him, me, and maybe a couple other dudes out there. And he's screaming, I just hit a shark. It's dark out. I'm inside. He's outside. And so I'm terrified. I'm like, what? Are you serious? So I'm like, dude, this is my best friend. I, I got to go save him. I got to go get him. So I paddle out as hard as I can. He's paddling towards me. He's like, I, I swear to God, I hit a shark. I saw the fin. I hit a shark. I'm like, I don't fucking care what you hit. Let's get in. So we paddle in. We get inside. And then we're like laying on the beach, like on our backs, like, oh my God, we almost fucking died. Now, that story shows a number of cool things. I lived in Hawaii. I surfed. When my friend was in a dangerous situation, even though I was scared like a schoolgirl, which is what I often say, I was scared like a little schoolgirl. I even piddled a little bit down my leg, but I had to like go get my friend because he's my best friend. And I went out there and I quote unquote rescued him. So these are just some examples of how to tell stories. Now, once again, you guys have tons of stories in your arsenal. You may not just know it, but once again, you got to communicate all the attractive things that we've talked about. Now, another important thing to remember about storytelling is you don't want to make it obvious that you're trying to brag. Okay, so you want to make it almost a little bit self-deprecating if you can. So in the story where my friend hit a shark, who knows what he hit, dude? It could have been a piece of wood. I don't know. But in that story, I say that I was scared like a schoolgirl. I piddled down my leg, but it was the way I acted that was the important thing. So when you're telling your stories, you want to make them slightly self-deprecating, but in essence, they're not. In essence, you're actually kind of bragging and telling her about this kick-ass lifestyle that you have, about the kind of guy that you are. And I'm sure, you know, it's been 23 minutes. I don't know about you, but to me, it seemed like that time flew by. I really enjoyed telling the story. I hope that you guys enjoy listening to them. So what you want to do is create these stories. Now, you can also tell stories about the specific bar you're in in the supermarket you happen to go to, wherever you're opening girls, even in day game, let's say you always go to a college campus and you open up girls around that area, you should have some stories about that college campus or something that happened to you or a story that you heard or a girl fight that you saw right over there and her boob fell out and it was flappy like a National Geographic boob. That's something I often say. So you wanna prepare your stories around where you are, what she can relate to, you also want to encourage her to tell stories. So if she's a nurse, you could say like, what's the craziest thing that ever happened to you in your nursing career? Or if she's a veterinarian, what's the craziest animal you've ever worked on? Try to get her to tell stories. Now, as you guys are telling stories back and forth, you're building rapport, you're relating. She's finding out attractive things about you. She's learning about you. You're learning about her. And most importantly, time is going. You know, because really it's just a race of time. You probably heard me mention it's eight to 12 hours of time together before she's willing to have sex with you. And let's be honest, one of our big objectives here is to have sex with the girl. So we need content, content to like, you know, encompass those 12 hours. And this is great. The storytelling, you can have a million stories from your childhood, high school, college, think about your life, go through all your pictures, find stories, super, super effective. All right, guys, that is it for this podcast. I want to thank you so much for listening. You and I, bro, yes, you, right there, the dude listening to this, 
You and I are in the trenches together. We are fighting side by side, shoulder to shoulder as brothers. We are knee high in grenade pins and brass. And you may have just taken one to the arm and you fall to the ground. I reach my hand out to you and I'm like, I got you, bro. I got you. We're in this fight together. And that's the way I want you to think of it, man, is that I got your back. I'm always here for you. If you have any questions, you can hit me up. If you want some coaching, check out my website. I value you guys who listen to my content and who actually take my teachings into consideration. I value you above all others. So once again, brother, I thank you so much. I got your back. I know you've got mine and I can't wait to see what you and I are going to do in the future. All right. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you in the next podcast. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.